we are going to, this morning, jump in and wrap up our big series that we've been in around Isaiah 61 and also in Luke 4. And um, I want us to soak in the passage just a little bit this morning as a community before we unpack. Um, One of the things that we believe as a tenant of our followership of Jesus is that Jesus is the word of God, right? He is, he is God in flesh. He, there's this powerful, uh, uh, well, it's in the beginning, right? And God speaks and, there's, and creation takes place. And the word that goes out that creates everything is logos. It's the word of God, right? It's this creative creational uh, thrust of God. And when, so when Jesus comes and when John describes him as the word of God, that's what's being invoked, right? So now when we say the word of God, what are we most often referring to? The Bible. If I say pull out the word of God, unless you haven't been going to church for very long, which is fine, you probably will reach for your Bible or your phone or whatever, right? But what we don't want to do is turn that into a nickname for the Bible, right? We don't want to turn it into a nickname for the Bible because it means something. Because the Word of God is the Word that spoke into the chaos and the disorder and created everything. And so our relationship to the Bible, to the scriptures, sometimes we can try to study it like a book. And there's something to be said for that, because it is a collection of books. Um, But we believe that it's living, that it can interact with us. Um, The way that Jesus uses it, and sometimes we'll unpack some of that, but... You know, Jesus and the disciples quote scripture in very strange ways sometimes, but they find inspiration and they say, oh, this thing that was said by this prophet back here, this is, this is the revelation of that. And the spirit of God breathes life into that. And so what I want to start with this morning is just to do several passes of the Isaiah text that we've been looking at. And what we're not trying to do is we're not trying to cognitively understand or like study it. it the best way that I've heard it described is, is, is to let the, the scripture study you. To let the passage study you. So I'm going to bring it up in a second. And we're going to read it slowly together out loud. If you're comfortable with that. So we're going to read it, and then we're going to do a second pass. Livia is going to come, and she's going to read it. And then we're going to leave uh, 30 seconds of silence. And what I want you to do in that silence, after Liv has read, while she's reading, I want you to pay attention if there's a phrase or a word or a picture that comes into mind, something that pops, something that just sort of You'd notice it. And then on the third pass, I'll read it again. And, and I'd like you to use that, whatever the thing was that kind of jumped out, 
as a filter to listen through the whole text again. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, you can ask questions. It's okay. I know it's, it's a, so this is, called a, this is called Lectio Divina. It's a, it's a way of encountering the scriptures. It's uh, at least since, um, like, I think the 1400s was when it kind of became a way of engaging the scriptures. But there's, there's reference to this sort of thing way back to near the beginning of the church. And what we're doing is we're letting the Spirit of God move through the Word and believing that it's active and breathing. So, together, let's read, and we'll read at a slow pace, maybe slightly uncomfortably slow, and that's okay. I hope you can all see, oh, that's very faint. Can you guys see that okay? Okay. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. on a resonance a highlight highlighter that maybe the Holy Spirit brought over the text or even an image that came to mind
So taking whatever that was for you and kind of holding it up as a lens or a filter. I'll read the text one more time. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. One of the things for me as we do any, any kind of teaching or Sunday thing or whatever, my, my hope is always that, that this is not actually your main course weekly. It's your, it's, your, it's your dinner together with family. But that we are able to engage into the rhythms of following Jesus like as a constant. Right? We have, we have patterns of living. Breathing is one of them. Heartbeat is another. Feeding. Sleeping. Um, and so part of my hope in these times is that we get tools for what it looks like to engage the scriptures well, different practices of, of prayer, and that these are things, ways that we can um, become mature in our following of Jesus. It's not just about this is where we learn about who God is, is here on Sundays or special teaching nights or whatever it might look like. You know, and so... Um, so how we read the scriptures is really important, not just how we, not just how I teach them, or whoever's teaching, right? And so that's part of what I hope that we are looking for and gleaning in this. And uh, and so, so I love that. That was great. I learned something, and I saw things in a slightly different way because we communally listened, which is different from communally studying, right? In my mind, anyway. So thank you for that. That was a gift. So, Oaks of Righteousness. This is uh, where we're going to land today. Is in the final, the final bit of of the uh, of this passage that Isaiah has laid out for us, um, I'm just gonna. Oh, that lied to me. Cool. Okay. 
So what's going to happen is I'm going to teach without my notes because I embedded my notes into my display and it's not showing up right now. <laughs> so we're going to see how this goes. Um, so Oaks of Righteousness, this idea that, and it's interesting that, that highlighted, I mean, it makes sense because as Tim talked about, this whole passage is leading somewhere. God is doing something. He's healing his people unto something. Right? And, um, you know, when, so these are, this photograph is, this is of oak trees that are in basically the region, the Palestinian region. Right? This is, Essentially, what they would probably look like. It's interesting because they're not like they are big, and they and they stand out, but they're not towering in the sense of what we you know who might have an image of like a PC treater, a cedar tree, but treater. That's an interesting word. Wow, cool, yay. Um, <laughs> You know, they, they stand out, but they have, they have a, a, a girth. There's substance to them. They stand out in the landscape. I love what you contributed to that, this idea of a root system that is pulling moisture up in, in a fairly arid environment. And, um, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to pretend to be any sort of a tree expert, but I do know that... Uh, whatever we see on the top, that the roots are deeper, wider, they spread out, right? And so, you know, when I think of oaks of of righteousness, one of the things that we can come, we can look at sometimes with a passage like this, is is to try to look at it in terms of a how to become righteous, right? I mean, whom of you wants to be uh, an oak of righteousness? Sure, right? Yeah, yeah. Good goal. How many are? It's a good intention. It is a good intention. But we know where good intentions get us. Um... You know, I want to continually always pull this back to uh, the person of Jesus, right? Because what's actually being described, anytime we really get into this, where scripture portrays the righteous person, the righteous one, Jesus is always the fulfillment of that, every time. Um... You know, I, I, I do struggle as I read through lots of passages in the Old Testament in particular, as I've, as I've talked about, because there's real struggle that happens in their pages. It's not easy. It's not easy to figure it all out. Um, but I find so much peace in putting Jesus in front. Like we took, when we did that Lectio Divina exercise and we found an idea or a word or a phrase or whatever, and we used that as a lens to listen to the passage again. That's what 
I believe we're called to do as followers of Jesus every time is to put Jesus as the lens, as the fulfillment for everything that has been written. Right? And that allows for me to hold some tension. It also allows for me to recognize that, you know, so you have this call on, uh, on Israel in exile to um, be be pulled through, to be healed, to be restored, all these beautiful images that we spent the last good number of weeks unpacking. Very specifically, what does this look like? Um, And because it's not just about being oaks of righteousness, it's about being oaks of righteousness for the display of God's glory. Right? It's unto something further. And Jesus is the fulfillment of, of that. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Um, and so here's something, you know, as we've talked about. The, Jesus is the location of what God is doing on the earth. The kingdom has a location. It is Jesus. Um. The gospel has a location. It is Jesus. It's, it is an idea, but it's not just an idea. It's not just a set of beliefs. It is a person. Right? And so part of what this looks like for me is when I think of Jesus and how he referenced this and put this at the center at the beginning of his ministry... And declared it to be fulfilled. You know, we're going to unpack that just a little bit more in a second. But he basically was saying that, that he was, because he was there, it was fulfilled. Right? The body of Christ. And this is another thing that I'll probably get a bit boring about. Because I'll repeat it a lot. But it's just, it's, it's, it's important. It's also not just a nickname for the church. Right? Just like the word of God is not a nickname for the Bible, the body of Christ is not a nickname for the church. Where is God in this world? Where isn't God in this world? Yeah, God is. God is everywhere. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, there is there is definitely truth in that, but uh, the fact that we are alive to me indicates that God is that, that, that God is here, right? God is God is life. God is everywhere. We cannot be somewhere that God is not. Right? Um, where is Jesus? So this is this is this. So that's the so the answer was everywhere, except that Jesus is still embodied. Jesus is like when so he so Jesus died. And, and did Jesus become spirit in that moment? Like when he was resurrected, was he resurrected as a spirit or was he re- resurrected physically? 
He was resurrected physically. Jesus, Jesus has a location. Jesus is uh, is still a human, right? He 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 didn't evaporate into the kingdom when he ascended. He he physically bodily ascended, right? Now, where's the Holy Spirit? Like this is we're getting into some Trinitarian stuff here, and I don't want to bog us down in it. But it's for me, it it's helpful because. Because asking these questions helps to shape our sense of where we are in this world as a church, as a people. So the Holy, so the Holy, you know, Jesus said, I'm leaving, right? I'm going to heaven. I'm going to the right hand of the Father. But I'm sending my spirit. And where is my spirit going to dwell? Where is my spirit going to live? In, in, in his body, empowering his people, right? And so it's from that, then you get Paul who starts to introduce this idea of the body of Christ, right? And I don't want to split hairs too much here because I, I, I think that um, this isn't about containing God. This is about having a more or less uh, helpful understanding of how he is moving and revealing himself in this world, right? So, um, we are the body of Christ. We are where, essentially, I, I believe that we are where Jesus is on this planet. Right? This is, I am the hands and feet of Jesus. Now, does that mean that there are not people who have accounts where Jesus hangs out with them and sits on their bedside and says things. I, I've heard stories about that. And I'm, I'm no one to say, well, that doesn't fit my theology. You can't be telling the truth. I mean, that wouldn't be so arrogant as to presume that this is the, the only thing. But I think more or less, this is a helpful way of understanding that we as the body of Christ are bringing Jesus in presence. He is, his Holy Spirit is in us. Right, And so I think that we're called to, in the same way that we've explored these things of, that we've explored these uh, uh, passages and seen how Jesus was comfort to the mourning, those who are mourning. He was good news to the poor. That when we come, we're not coming with an idea or an agenda or our, it's not about us, it's not our own power, but we are, we are bringing Jesus into a situation. And Jesus is who is empowering this same work that we have been looking at and studying. It's not just about the church being restored, just like it wasn't about Israel getting reestablished as a nation. In that, when, to what Isaiah was speaking in the first place. It was all to set the stage for Jesus. Right? Um, I hope I haven't lost anybody in that. I just think it's a really important framework for us to have that, um, like, the whole, our understanding of the Holy Spirit means that God comes near and we... In, in, we feel the presence of Christ, and that's true, because it's Jesus' Spirit, the Holy Spirit. But it's important to know that, that Jesus 
in body is somewhere right now. And he's not here in body right now. This is a core understanding of like our, our theology, our formation, our understanding of who God is and how he functions and moves in the world. So when Jesus comes again, that means something. When he comes again bodily, that means something. Right? Um, so here's something, here's my mind-blowing moment for this week. My dad said something, and it really struck me. My dad said this, even more so than us, Jesus could only be in one place at a time. What do you think he meant by that? Does that seem, does that seem blasphemous? Wherever he is is where his full attention is. Yeah. That means he can't be here with us. He can only be at one place at a time. His Holy Spirit is His Holy Spirit is 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 here, right? His Holy Spirit is filling us, right? And then, and and we are not to divide these things three in one, right? God is three in one. Um, but he did say, "I am leaving." And I'm sending my Holy Spirit. Right? This is part of... You know, and when Jesus was... So in our text, you know, Jesus talks... And we're going to talk about this in a minute, but... Like, Jesus went to Capernaum. He went from Nazareth to Capernaum. He went one from one place to another. And his focus was entirely where he was... I think what my dad was getting at was, which is another topic, is that we are of divided attention, right? We're communicating across, like with Facebook and social media and all these different things. We are widely dispersed people, right? I can have conversations with folks in California as if, practically as if they're right in my living room. So I can be spread out all over the place. And so that was really the, that was really the context of this. But it did get me to thinking about the, the nearness and the presence of Jesus. And we have Jesus in us through the Holy Spirit. He dwells in us. And we are, you know, He and the Father are one. And He wants us to be one. And there's this mutual indwelling that's taking place. Right? I'm not saying that Jesus is far off in the sense that He's not, hasn't sent His Holy Spirit. Right? But there's a reason why it matters when Jesus returns, whatever that looks like in the end. And so I just want to dive into, um, into another, uh, just something that I've made a couple of statements over the last number of weeks, and I have said that Jesus had done nothing when he declared that the Isaiah passage was fulfilled in, in his reading of it, right? And someone very kindly, um, very kindly pointed out that there's a passage uh, where, well, I don't want to be there yet. If you, if you carry on, there's a reference and he says, um, 
He says, you're going to say to me, do the things that you heard that I did in Capernaum. Capernaum." And then he doesn't do them. So the question is what, you know, what what was that about? And I want to say two things. It is absolutely appropriate and good to like fact check me, anybody. That's a, that's a really helpful, handy thing to do. I definitely, I definitely encourage that. Um, because to be honest, it was a bit of a blind spot for me. I was so enthusiastic in my, as I read through Luke and saw this transition where Jesus goes immediately from being out in the wilderness and then he shows up at the synagogue and he reads this this thing and I and I, I missed that bit in my enthusiasm. So I did a little bit of I did a little bit of research. And what's interesting is that I think the point still stands to be honest. Um, particularly in Mark, there's a reference um, to Jesus' time in Capernaum. So here's what it says in Mark about Capernaum. It says that they went there and uh, Jesus came to the synagogue and he amazed people with his teaching and then he um, exercised a possessed person. He kicked out an evil spirit and he healed many people. And he went to um, the home of Simon and Andrew and Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and he healed her. And so it might be tempting for us to believe that and it might actually be a reality that that's what was being referred to in, in the Luke passage. But I want to just point out something. So in the Luke passage, after Jesus has spelled out his uh, manifesto, let's call it, in Isaiah, he, um, yeah, he says, do hear... You're going to say, physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. Or Capernaum. So, but then he goes out from there and he goes down to Capernaum after the fact. And he casts out a demon and he heals Simon's mother-in-law who is suffering. But what he's referencing, he says, what you will, what you have, do for us what you what we've heard that you have done. And he does not do it in, his, in that space. Um, I don't know. I think that there's, there's a lot to be said about the way that we read the Gospels and the way that they interplay with one another and how we f- develop our order, our timeline of things. And maybe we can explore the different ways and approaches that people have had over time. My first kind of go-to is to take each of the Gospels kind of on their own terms. Um, you know, for example, how many times did Jesus turn over the temple when he goes into the temple and he turns it upside down? Does anybody know how many times that happened? Most people think once, right? I think it happened once. Except that in John, it happens at the beginning of his ministry, and in all the other Gospels, it happens at the end of his ministry, Right? So either it happened twice, or the people who have written the Gospels have a particular way that they're framing the story to communicate something that's truthful. Right? 
And so I think it's really important to cross-reference the Gospels with one another to get a clear understanding and a big picture understanding of them. But I think we also need to take them on their own terms in terms of the order of things that they're presented by. Because the authors all have a point. They're being inspired by the Holy Spirit. And they have a point. They have an arc of the way they're telling the story that communicates something. So the way that Luke has chosen to do this is he references rumors without any substance in the form of, his, of that gospel. He just says, you've heard that I did things over here. But I'm not, you know, I'm not welcome in my hometown. And, it, and what, I, what I have declared is fulfilled, is fulfilled in my presence, I think is what, I think it's a fair thing to say. And then he goes off and then he goes to Capernaum and he does all of those things. It's very interesting to me. And I don't know what the point is in all of the flips of of those things and the chronologies of it. But I think that the point still is something we can rest in. Is that in the presence of Jesus, the kingdom comes. And that that's the only way that the kingdom comes. Is in the presence of Jesus. And I think that at least the lion's share of the presence of Jesus on this earth is how we show up and be present and be near. Because we are the body of Christ. Right? And so lest it become a nickname for the the church. This is my prayer is that we become an embodiment of the kingdom. This is part of of why Jesus was so excited with the ascension. He was excited about it. He said, I'm leaving, but I'm leaving for two reasons. I'm leaving because I've got some really great work to do. And you're going to love it when you get there. Right? In my father's house are many mansions. I'm going to prepare a place that these are good things. And he also said, I'm leaving so that I can send my Holy Spirit. Right? And then we get to be the presence of Jesus. We get to show up. Right? And we get to conduit the word. Not necessarily through our words, but through our actions. So I want to close out this morning by reading again from Luke, Jesus' passage where he, um, where he quotes from Isaiah. And, and I'm sorry that I don't have all of the, I had a, in, in the notes for the, for the audio for this, I'm going, to, I'm going to post some of my notes that I haven't had access to in terms of the, some of the specific scriptures that because there are, have been some that I'm, I don't have in my head and they're not on my computer screen. But um, as we have received, we freely give. This is a core premise of what it means to follow Jesus as a church. So it is so okay for us to show up hungry for the promises in Isaiah. It is so okay to show up hungry for the gospel. It is so okay for us to show up broken and to receive healing, to show up in mourning and to receive comfort. 
But there is this thing where we then become, we get become oaks of righteousness, planted, a planting for the display of the Lord's splendor. Jesus went up to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up and read the scroll of the prophet Isaiah as it was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is, this is my prayer. My, my prayer is that we would... That the, that the embodiment of how Jesus is the fulfillment of all, basically the dreams of God, is something that we would recognize as a, that we get to actually participate now. This is part of the empowering of the Holy Spirit, I think. Carrying on the ministry of Jesus, engaging in the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus' ministry was the fulfillment of the promises of God. So Lord, you, not us, are the fulfillment of God's promises. And yet, Lord, would you make us your resting place? When you call us your dwelling place, when you call us a temple, when you say that you come and you indwell us, Lord, reshape our understanding and our imagination so that it's not just the sense of our own nearness to you that that we celebrate but it is also that that you have invited us to be part of the location of the kingdom God that we would see and recognize and participate in that God, we pray that we would be good news to the poor. God, let our community be freedom for prisoners. Light for those in darkness. 
Let us be people who set free the oppressed. God, give us the boldness to declare the year of the Lord's favor. Thank you that there was a declaration of favor for Don and, and, and this lack of pain. That's what happened. It's a declaration of favor. Right? We pray for more of that, Jesus. your Holy Spirit lead us out into this world that you have made. God, we want to follow you with our feet, with our hearts, with our minds this week. And God, give us eyes to see what your Spirit is doing. Give us eyes to see what your Father is doing and to come alongside and to step into the ministry of Jesus as your body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.